Coming up on Philosophy Talk. The philosophy of Hannah Arendt. Let's face facts. Let's be realists. Our power ultimately is violence. Her great works on revolution. Violence does not promote causes, but it can indeed serve to dramatize grievances and to bring them to public attention. The origins of totalitarianism. In a fully developed bureaucracy, there's nobody left with whom one could argue, to whom one could present grievances, on whom the pressures of power could be exerted. The human condition. People realize that life is an unending contest, that violence is an element of life. Why was Arendt so controversial? It's a very good question. From Germany to Paris to New York. Hannah Arendt, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Hi, I'm Josh Landy. Hannah Arendt was born on October 14, 1906. So please enjoy this vintage episode about her with John and Ken. Good thing it's still in human condition. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. The number you can call to join our conversation is 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. Today we're going to do another in our series of profiles on leading philosophers. This time our topic is one of the great political theorists of the 20th century, Hannah Arendt. You know, Ken, all the philosophers we talk about here on Philosophy Talk have interesting thoughts, but many of them have pretty dull lives. Hannah Arendt was definitely not one of those. She led a very interesting life, and the events in her life had a lot to do with her philosophy. Well, she certainly had fascinating ideas. She wrote about totalitarianism, the human condition, and fundamental issues in political theory. She wrote an influential book about the trial of the Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem, a book that made famous the phrase, the banality of evil. She died in the mid-1970s, so, you know, the last part of her philosophical career, here's an important point, corresponds to the first part of mine. At the time, you know, she was a leader of the New York intellectual scene, but I have to admit something. I don't really know how she got to be uh, at the uh, head of that scene. Well, it's pretty interesting. Arendt was Jewish. Uh, She was born in Germany early in the century. She actually grew up in Königsberg, uh, famous because it was Kant's hometown, at least famous to philosophers. In the 20s, she studied with Martin Heidegger, with whom she had an intense love affair. Then she went on to write her dissertation with Jaspers on Augustine. Uh, wait, wait a minute, go back a second. I know that Heidegger was a great philosopher, but wasn't he also a Nazi? What's a young Jewish graduate student in Germany doing having an affair with a Nazi? Well, Heidegger wasn't a Nazi then. Uh, He joined the party after Hitler's rise to power in the mid-30s when he was rector of the University of Freiburg. It was uh, politically motivated, I think. But to to get a bit ahead of our story, Arendt actually returned to Germany from New York in the early 50s when the occupation forces after the war were trying to decide what to do with Heidegger. Arendt's dealings with Heidegger before and after his Nazi period, by the way, are a topic of a recent very interesting play, Hannah and Martin. So tell me a little bit about uh, Arendt's life between her dissertation and the 50s. Well, anti-Semitism and Nazism began to affect her in a big way in the late 20s and 30s. 
You know that in Germany, after you write your dissertation, you have to write another big book called the Habilitation. Habilitation. She was prevented from doing that because because she was Jewish, and, and that meant no chance of getting a job in Germany. So I guess, well, obviously she managed to get out of Germany and to avoid the camps. Well, just barely. She began to study anti-Semitism, uh, which drew attention to her. She she moved to Paris after being questioned by the Gestapo, which was a good idea. But, but of course, even there, the, uh, the Germans invaded and uh, things were difficult. She worked uh, before the invasion to help Jewish refugees in Paris, and, and she actually spent some time in prison but escaped. In 1941, she made it to the U.S. She held a number of posts, finally becoming the first woman to be a full professor at Princeton in 1959. Hannah Arendt died in 1975. So you can certainly see connections between her life, the story of her life, and her work. I mean, just look at the titles of some of her books, like The Origins of Totalitarianism. But, John, you know, you're you're an analytic philosopher, and and so am I, and we're both philosophers of language. Have you really ever dug in much into the details, into the nuts and bolts of Arendt's philosophy? Well, I I do know that she preferred to be called a political theorist. I, I know that her books, nevertheless, were very philosophical, with all sorts of interesting ideas about the nature of action, of course, particularly political action. But you're right. I'm, I've led a dull life uh, consumed with dull ideas <laughs> about the philosophy of language. I'm no expert on political philosophy or on Hannah Arendt. But luckily, our guest is Shayla Ben-Habib from Yale University. And we'll start by asking Professor Ben-Habib to tell us more about Arendt's philosophy and political theory. Then I'll examine a key concept of Arendt's philosophy— the concept of a public space for political discussion and action, exactly the sort of thing that totalitarian regimes eliminate. Then we'll consider whether the Internet gives us a new kind of public space, political space in a rent sense. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Julie Napolin, is going to dig into the background on Horrent a little bit more, including a bit from that play I mentioned, Hannah and Martin. She files this report. Hannah Arendt tackles one of the most baffling questions in the history of philosophy. Who are you? In The Human Condition, this is her book from 1958, uh, she writes about the who somebody is versus the what they are. Karen Feldman is assistant professor of German at UC Berkeley. She says for Arendt, there is no answer to that question. What we are is how we define ourselves as a woman, as a Jew, as a vegetarian, all the different possible uh, identifications we could offer. Who somebody is, she writes, is revealed in the kinds of things you say and do in a political vein, in a public sphere, among other free human beings. My name is Melissa Friedman, and I am an actor and a founding artist of Epic Theater Ensemble, one of the artists who founded a theater company in New York City that is dedicated to placing theater at the center of civic dialogue. Friedman incorporates Arendt's thoughts about public speech and action into her theater company. It is a way to look at something in multiple from multiple perspectives, and you see it in a human form. Because in a book, you you see it in your own mind. But when you see people on stage battling these questions, you have a chance to watch humans grapple. In 2004, Epic Theater produced Hannah and Martin, a play conceived by Friedman and written by Kate Fodor. It's about the affair between Arendt and her mentor, Martin Heidegger, who later joined the Nazi party. November 7th. 1946. Dear Sir, I find myself 
in an awkward position of needing to correct certain damaging statements that I made to you regarding Professor Martin Heidegger. After the war, Heidegger was not allowed to teach or publish. Arendt spoke out against him, then met with him in 1950, not having seen him since before the war. Something in that meeting, she went there to confront him, but something in that meeting in Germany um, happened where she not only forgave him, but also was the reason he continued to be published and, and translated all over the world. I think she wanted to rescue this talent of thinking that she believed he had for others, that this was part of the human world, as she believes the human world is the sum of the products that human beings make, and, and Heidegger's thought and his books, these are part of the human world. The play takes us back to that moment with Heidegger. In the spirit of Arendt's work, the play directly engages us in a decision. Well, Hitler has blood on his hands, and he shook hands with Himmler, who shook hands with the Minister of Education, who shook hands with Professor Martin Heidegger, who shook hands with me. I wonder, if the hand you take is one stretched out for help, what then? A sin to take it, or a sin to refuse? There's nothing quite like such a compelling piece of theater, you know, when you have something that well written. But then, you know, probably equally as compelling is the story itself, which is really interesting, a story of forgiveness and, and a question about what, what we can forgive in our society. And, you know, politically speaking, like, what are we allowing in the public forum? I think for Arendt, it's not a matter of asking others to judge us, but rather it's a matter of us making judgments ourselves. I can imagine instead a more Arendtian version being to turn to the audience and say, do you have blood on your hands? Because it's not about them judging her in this instance. It's about learning to, as she writes famously, think without banisters, learning to think and judge for oneself. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Julie Napolin. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.